figured if not everyone's going to sit in these front pews, I'm just going to keep coming closer to you. So I hope that's all right. There's still ample space up here. You're always welcome. I don't spit when I preach, I don't think. At least I don't have that range if I do. So you're always welcome up in the splash zone. It's a fun time. Thanks for bringing Brave, Baders, Dylans. Well done. I, side note, a little insider info here. Um, if you don't like it when I like look at you and I preach because it's like, oh no, he's talking directly to me, just sit in the front because I will look right over you and I will not acknowledge you the whole time. So you want to hide? Come on up. <laughs> I love it. It's good. Hi, Mike. I'm actually going to stare at you the whole time now. This one's all for you. Kidding. Oh, man. So we're in week two of our series of Building Momentum. Seven-week series in which we are looking at trying to increase our intentionality and strength of all these areas. And you can see them up there. It's prayer, love, discipleship, leadership development, generosity, evangelism, unity. So we're getting intentional about looking deeply at each of these things. Now, last week, we talked about prayer, how we will pray boldly, we will pray consistently and specifically and cover all things in prayer. So we ended our message last week. We had an all-church uh, challenge, creatively named the Bookmark Challenge. So if you're here, you got one of these bookmarks. Unless you sat in the balcony because I forgot about you. Sorry about that, balcony. There's a lot of you up there. Hi. Yeah, there's space here if you would like. <laughs> bookmark challenge in which we are reading through the entire book of Psalms together during the seven-week series. And we're doing that knowing, trusting that if we are daily steeped in Scripture, we will grow. We will grow more and more into Christ's likeness and in our spiritual walk. So I hope for you all in our first week of this challenge that you have been blessed by this. I know I have. Uh, there's something powerful when you're reading Scripture that you know your brothers and sisters in Christ are also reading that day. And you read that and go, wow, this is really powerful. Mike really needs to hear this. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. That's a joke. I don't read my Bible like that. You're just right there now. <laughs> no one will ever sit up here again. I'm, I'm self-sabotaging this whole thing. <laughs> now, if you haven't had the opportunity to start this bookmark challenge yet, or if you weren't here last week, that's okay. Just feel free to start today. Uh, we don't want guilt to ever stop you from diving in. So take the bookmark and find where today is. We have extras of these on the table out back, and just start today and keep on going. And if you miss a day, don't, don't, don't miss two. Start the next day. If you miss two, try not to miss three. And you just build it up from there to build in these reps. Now this week, we're talking all about expanding our ability to love. Love, it's an appropriate topic because we know Valentine's Day is coming this Friday, right, husbands out there? It's coming on Friday. You're like, why did you say that, Kevin? There's my excuse. But here's the thing about Valentine's Day. You either love this day or you completely hate this day. There is no middle ground, right? 
We're not going to kind of get into that too much. We're not talking about any kind of manufactured love or anything today, but actual, real love that is only found in God. So to do that, we're going to look at the greatest commandment uh, as it's kind of told in the Gospel of Matthew 22. And so we're going to turn there in just a minute. It's page 699. Some context first. Uh, This this real story, this interaction with Jesus, took place on Tuesday of Holy Week. Jesus, he's at the temple. There are these multiple controversies in the court over Jesus' authority that are taking place. And there are four interactions with the religious leaders who are trying to trap Jesus, who in turn then reveals his identity as the Son of God. So the Sadducees, they try and trap Jesus with uh, this theological problem which is kind of a joke if you think about it, because theology means the study of God, and Jesus is God. So they're trying to trap Jesus theologically, but he is God. You can't really trap him in that. And then our passage, it picks up right after that. So let's read Matthew 22, 34 through 40 together. 22, 34 through 40. It goes like this. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? That is the whole Old Testament. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. See, the Pharisees, they had classified over 600 laws. They tried to distinguish which were the more important one and what are the less important ones. This is kind of what they did for fun. They tried to break it down and see what's more important, what's less important. So one of them, this expert in religious law, he asked Jesus to identify the most important one. Help us solve this debate. And Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy 6.5. That's the Shema, Hero Israel. This is what Jews would repeat this every single day. They would wake up and recite this. And he also cites Leviticus 19.18 within that. Now, these two commandments summarize the Ten Commandments as well as the other Old Testament moral laws. By fulfilling these two commandments, a person kept all the others. To love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Elsewhere, it also says strength. It means loving God with your everything and in everything. And it's with a certain kind of love that also signifies this concrete responsibility to seek the greatest good of one's neighbors. So the two commandments, Jesus says the second is like it. What he's getting at is that these two commandments stand together. See, the first one without the second is essentially impossible. If we love God, We ought to be moved to love the things that God loves. And what does God love but humankind, peace, unity, harmony, right relationship, justice, all that stuff. And the second commandment cannot stand without the first, even theoretically, because love in the truest sense, 
demands knowledge of God because God is love. If we don't know him, we will never know true love, for true love does not exist outside of God who is love. This kingdom life that Jesus initiated Summarized in these two commandments, it fulfills the deepest longings of human beings who are created in the image of God. The deepest longing to love and to be loved. And when we love, we reflect God. And when we love well, we give him glory. These, oh, yeah, there you go. A little backing music. These two commandments reveal... Love isn't just a side part of our lives. It is central to every facet of our lives. Paul gives us a blueprint in Colossians uh, 3, 12 through 14. He says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. What does all that mean? But to let love guide your life. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Imitate Christ in this way, day by day. Now, there are four biblical Uh, types of love outlined in scripture. In English, we have one word for love. It's love, right? There's love. You love. And we use it for different things, but does it always carry an equal meaning? So I can say I love McDonald's. I've said that several times up here. I can say I love Meg. Are those on the same level? No, no, they're not. Don't question that. I love my wife way more than McDonald's. My kids, it depends on the moment. (laughs) Kidding. I love them unconditionally. Right. Okay. It's not on the same level. It's totally different. Now, it's confusing in English. It's so confusing, and we know this because in middle school, we had to identify a new classification. So, do you like someone, or do you like them like them, you know? You don't ever in middle school say you love someone because then that's like, whoa, that's going really deep, really fast, and if you're in middle school and you feel like you love someone you're going to fall hard, and I'm sorry. That's some life lessons to be learned, I guess. There's like, there's like-like, and then there's love. But by, the Bible makes it easier for us, okay? It outlines for us these four types of love. Uh, and these are how they are defined. The first one is eros. This is a sensual or romantic kind of love. We're talking like Song of Solomon type of love, if you know what I'm getting at. We're not diving into that much today, okay? There's also the storge love, which is a family love. It's the affectionate bond that develops naturally between parents and children, brothers and sisters. It's this love that is uh, used, that word of love is used to describe Martha and Mary's love for their brother Lazarus. It's that type of love. And then there's philia love. That's the love that uh, those in Philadelphia have for their football team, the Eagles. Right? No, not at all. (laughs) It is the powerful emotional bond that is seen in deep friendships. 
It encompasses that love for fellow humans, care and respect, compassion for people in need. It's, it's a unique love that unites believers in the unique way found in Christ. This is the love that Jesus uses when he says in John 13, 35, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love, that's the philia type of love, one another. It's the mark of a disciple. Then there's finally the big kahuna. It's not what it's called. It's called agape. The big love, agape. It's God's immeasurable, incomparable love. It's the divine love. It comes from God. It is perfect, unconditional, sacrificial, and pure. Completely selfless. It doesn't expect anything back in return. So I guess there was a Super Bowl ad this past week that broke down each of these loves. And uh, first of all, let me just say, this part of my sermon was done before uh, that commercial came out. They stole it from me, because this is all original Kevin material. (laughs) It's not, it's from the Bible, okay. Uh, But first, um, it was interesting to see how they broke it down. Because they did a good job of explaining it all until they got to agape. Because they explained it in a secular context. They talked about it being a deep selfless love, which is absolutely true. But it was an insurance company talking about different ways to love. And it didn't point to God. They missed the point that love originates from our Savior, for it is our Savior. That is who our God is. And that's where agape love flows from. He gives and displays and shows this love without end. It's love in action. God is the source of it, and we are all called to reciprocate this love to God and to others. Just like it says in 1 John 4, 19. We love, that's where it uses agape there, we love because he first loved agape, us. So we are able to share that kind of perfect, unconditional, sacrificial, selfless love because of the Holy Spirit being within us. It's God's love pouring through us. And so we mirror God when we give that kind of love and allow him to love through us. But how can we grow in this type of love? How can we go from wherever we are right now and our ability and capacity to love, and take it to the next step, to grow in this way. In considering this, it was pretty interesting to see how it fits in with three of our core values here at Hope. So we're going to kind of look at how those interplay with each other. The first one is this, courageous authenticity. I'm not going to break down all the nuances of, uh, of how we describe that, but essentially it's coming together and being courageous and being who we are made to be in Christ. Sharing of ourselves with one another, being vulnerable and open and not hiding who we are. But I think it's safe to say in our culture, in our context, uh, in this day and age in West Michigan, in America, in church culture, we're not always comfortable sharing the real stuff going on in our lives. A lot of us like our privacy. We're afraid or unwilling to share our full selves. And we know how this plays out. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Except 
really, my wife and I are going some, through some really hard stuff, but I can't share that with you. Or, how are you? I'm fine. Except I just got this medical diagnosis, and frankly, I am terrified, and I don't even know how to think about it. Why do we hide these things? It's really hard to share them. That's why. Maybe we're afraid. We can be afraid of how it will be received. Or even we just don't want the attention. We don't like it when attention's put on us. Or we don't want to be pitied. Or we don't want to have people see our real struggles. Or maybe just by voicing it with someone, it makes what we're going through just seem all that much more real. So we put on our everything's fine mask when everything's not fine. But courageous authenticity, that's about loving without masks. So what does it look like to love without masks? N.T. Wright said this, you don't need masks or makeup in the kingdom of God. Putting on these masks limits our capacity and our ability to receive and also to give love. So in our fear, we often put on a mask and we kind of keep the truth to ourselves. But when we do that, what we unintentionally do is we are not trusting the community we're a part of to love us well. But we cannot afford to go through this life without allowing others in. It is way too hard to go alone. In the kingdom of God, we can't hide who we really are because who we really are is who God made us to be. And who he made us to be is our gift to the world, our struggles, our sorrows, and all. Because the church, at its best, is a place where we can come with all our struggles, all our pains, all our hurts and doubts, and not be rejected, but be received in love. For we are all broken. None of us have it together. But in Christ, by Christ, and through Christ, we are made whole. Together, we have the abundant love of God, and we can help each other through it all. You don't need masks or makeup in the kingdom of God. Here you can be yourself and experience that agape love of Jesus Christ in a community that you can't find anywhere else. So let's strive to be intentional when we come here, when we interact with church family, to be intentional about leaving those masks behind. For our love is promised to grow exponentially when we courageously love one another through all of life's real ups and downs. Now as for that makeup piece, women, I'll leave that up to you. (laughs) The next core value this fits in with really well is compassionate care. How we care for one another or how we uh, really put our love into action is a way we can kind of put it. Another way you could say is love on purpose, being purposeful in our love, or love as service by living out this love in that way. Because we know love is not just a state of mind. 
For us, it's an action. That's what it means to serve. Our passage says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. That doesn't mean just all of us sitting around and just feeling the love, basking in the love, kumbaya, baby. We are not hippies. It's all about living it out, moving to action, living in that love. You know, it's easy to love when it doesn't require much work from us or if it doesn't require any sacrifice. It's pretty easy to love then, if you could call that love. It's a whole nother ball game when we have to go out of our way to express love, isn't it? It's a, it's a battle between having convenient love and sacrificial love. The difference is commitment to serve. So what does this service or this action-oriented love look like here at church? We have a lot of ministry teams. We have a lot of needs here. And we already know we can't do this without you. Your staff, if you think about it, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. We have our support staff. We have our ministry leaders. Your paid ministry staff is like one and a half people. Well, <laughs> you're a full person, Allison. <laughs> you're like three people right now, right? Because they're twins. You're three people. Three people plus me. One full-time pastor, one half-time ministry coordinator, and the rest are volunteers for our ministry work. We can't do it all without you. We, we need you. You are essential to this place, for you make up this place. You are the church. We all are the church, and we all have the gifts called to be used by God here. We have these amazing teams, and we also have a lot of needs within our teams. We have a lot of awesome opportunities, but it takes people to step up to make those possibilities reality. So maybe you've been on the fence about diving in. You're just not sure your role. You're not sure how to get there. It's just a big ask. But let me tell you, there is so much joy and meaning and purpose to be found in serving in love alongside your brothers and sisters in Christ here at Hope. I encourage you to just dive in. Use your gifts. You don't know what your gifts are? We'll work through that because we can see the gifts in you. And we need you. Being all in here at Hope means putting that love into action. What an incredible picture of the kingdom of God it would be for every single one of us to be here serving in some capacity. The next core value, these ones kind of blur together a little bit. It's radical hospitality. How we invite others into our grace-centered family. You know, when you're here, you're family. Olive Garden, Hope Church. <laughs> I wish they didn't take that because it's so good. When you're here, you're family. And isn't that true for this place? It is so easy to love those in our community, or those that are like us, or those we already know, or those that have the same lifestyle. But it's so much harder for us in our lives to love that stranger or the outcast, or the one who has a different lifestyle than us. Or if you're like me, your battle is you can be friendly to someone, but you have that inner judgment going on, right? And we have to set that aside. There's no judgment 
and love. Because it can be hard to love those we do not know. It can be hard to even just introduce ourselves to someone we haven't met in our building yet. It can be difficult to know what to do when someone in our lives needs some kind of care, but we don't know how to do it, or we don't want to bother them. We don't exactly know what they need. So what does it look like for our church to be proactively care for one another? To actively notice the needs of the people directly around us and step up to help meet those needs, even if it means a lot of work and sacrifice. To expand our hospitality from convenient and on our own terms to being abundant and proactive. I trust you know me and my heart enough to know I'm not suggesting that we don't care well for our people. We absolutely do. I'm simply challenging us all, myself included, how can we take it to that next level? Here's an example. Something I know I got, I've gotten caught up on before a lot is this. Someone goes through a surgery or something, and you think, it'd be really nice to make this person a meal, but I don't know their allergies. I don't know their schedules. I don't know if they already have a bazillion meals or what. I don't want to call and bother them and ask them all these questions, or I know we have a meal train, but I don't want to bug Mackenzie, who's overseeing that. So I have all these good intentions, and I either don't act, or I finally contact that person and say, would you like a meal? A lot of times, it's very difficult for that individual to say, yes, I really would like a meal. I need a meal. It's that whole courageous authenticity thing. A lot of, no, I'm fine. When really, that meal could be a lifeline for that person. So a shift I've made in my life now, I'm trying to put in a practice, I invite you to try it too if it is where you want to live, is instead of getting hung up on all those details and those questions, if I, in my heart of heart, feel like it would bless this individual to receive a meal, to prepare a meal, something standard that you think will be well-liked, give them a call and say, I've made a meal for you. When is a good time for me to drop it off or for you to pick it up or whatever? They can still decline the meal. They don't have to accept it, but showing that it's already made, telling them what it is, it removes that barrier and says, oh, sure, you know, Tuesday you could just drop it off or I'll pick it up when I come to church. It's an extra step, but it's more intentional and proactive than waiting on someone else. So that's one way I'm trying to live into that. Maybe for you it would be to invite some people into your house because there's no better way to practice hospitality than eating around a table together. It doesn't even have to be a good meal. You could get hot and ruddies, and yet you're sitting at a table, you're getting to know each other, you're experiencing that agape love of Jesus Christ. Or perhaps it's to tithe a dinner. Every two weeks, you have one night out of those two weeks where you set aside to commit to having someone over into your home to connect with them in a real way. Whatever it is, For all these three areas, to grow in our love takes deep intentionality. Loved-centered community never happens by accident. It is an intention that takes effort. You know how whenever you get a news story that talks about random acts of kindness— those have a lot of leverage, right? That, we get excited about that. I get pumped up when I read about those. But if you think about it, for the life of a Christian, it shouldn't be random acts of kindness. It should be just the life of love we're called to live. 
how much more will love grow and expand and spread if we are consistent and purposeful in sharing that love in deep and meaningful ways? Because love, it breaks down barriers. It removes judgment. It heals the broken. It brings encouragement and peace to all who need it. For love, it's not a feeling. Love is a person. It's Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Lord God, creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, the life, has called you to be his vessel of love in this hurting world. And for all of this, we know as we seek to grow in these things, one thing is abundantly clear. Love is messy. It's just messy. Living in this authentic, vulnerable space is messy and there's no way around it. But it is also so beautiful. Jesus' ministry was incredibly messy. He brought together the leftouts, the dropouts, the mess-ups, and the ignored. He made something beautiful out of that group, and he is doing that with us here at Hope, too. So how can you love better today? I invite you to put that courageous authenticity into practice this morning and jot that down. How can you love better today? Maybe even do what we did last week and rate yourself 1 to 100. Identify this is where I am right now in my ability and practice of love. And I desire to grow from that. How can you love better today? And how can our church love more intentionally? Because we can always do better. We can always grow more. We know love isn't what God does. It's who he is. And in this community, it's a reflection of his kingdom. It's an expansion of his kingdom. It's a glimpse of heaven on this side of eternity. So together, let's double down, triple down on our efforts to love abundantly, for we have all been so abundantly loved. Praise be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, you do love us so well. Every breath we have comes from you. Every beat of our heart is sustained by your power and your might and your will. Every good thing in this life that we have is given by you. So Lord, as we think about the love that we have in you, we think about how we are also called to love. But God, as we think about how we need to grow in this, we first pray that we might feel and experience your love in a real and powerful way. Lord, you encourage, you love, you meet us where we're at so well. For it's who you are, God. So we pray that you can do that in abundance today. And Lord, we celebrate the significant, profound ways that this community has lived into that and has experienced that and shared that with each other and also with this neighborhood and with our community, with our friends. But God, we pray that we will never be satisfied thinking that we've done enough. Continue to burn a passion within us to love more and love better and love more like you.
We give you thanks, God, that you don't leave us alone, but you guide us in this process and that we're in it together. So God, we do pray today that we may love as you love us. We thank you, God. And we do indeed love you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.